of scripture and just put them in harmonic. It's just beautiful. Just it was nothing added to it. Just just Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. You turn with me in your in your Bibles to Romans chapter six. I want to continue this discussion about grace. You see, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's the Christmas season, and I can't. I just can't believe that it's already come around. And part of it is, uh, I think, the anticipation of decorating and shopping. And I, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. That brings me a lot of anxiety over the years. It has. Is trying to buy the right gift, trying to have the right decorations. And I, I, I think it's just my nature. I don't intentionally put things off but I tend to procrastinate and I have great ideas. And what happens at Christmas is, uh, has happened to me time and time again. You think I would learn is I finally figure out what I want to do or buy and it's too late. And it comes after Christmas. That's happened like the last two years. So I'm really trying not to do that this year, but I'm starting to get that feeling. And anyway, it, it's just hard to believe that end of November, I'm, I was thinking, Oh, Christmas is here already. I gotta put up Christmas lights. I gotta do this. Gotta do that. Anybody else ever feel that way? And we we uh, we use this term a lot. The reason for the season, but we need to continually be reminded that the reason that we celebrate Christmas is for the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's not about Santa Claus, but uh, certainly that's a fun aspect of the Christmas season. And giving and receiving is an awesome thing. It it is better to give than to receive. It was kind of funny. I read on social media yesterday. I don't know if I don't know if it was maybe you, Alan, that posted it. I I, I don't know that it was you, but it said, uh, "If money can't buy happiness, then explain motorcycles and beer." <laughs> was that your post, or did we? It was cute. It was cute. Yeah. So I thought of that when we were talking about motorcycle group, and then we were talking. You mentioned the beer, and I'm like, "Oh, I got to say that." So uh, I want to talk a little bit about that today. Not motorcycles and beer, but I want to talk about. Uh, the position we were in before we became, before we knew God. And this is what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6, and we spoke to it quite a bit last week, and really we, we, we spoke about uh, verses 1 through 12, and that uh, we're dead to sin and alive to God. Moving on with that same concept with grace that we're dead to sin and alive to God, there are certain characteristics that we are to exhibit. And that is that we, we share the victory of the resurrection because Jesus was victorious in the resurrection. We share in the experience of his death because Jesus died. We also are to share in his walk. And part of that is suffering, and, 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 but knowing that we have victory in the end. So supernaturally, we have become bonded with Jesus when we gave our life to him. We have surrendered to our sinful ways, acknowledged our sin. And I think something that's not said enough in a pulpit is uh, repentance. A, a key component to salvation is repentance. So we, we push turning to Jesus and, and receiving Jesus. And the song was, I believe, and yes, I believe in Jesus, but so do the evil spirits of this world. They know who Jesus is, right? 
everybody will know and will believe in Jesus when they die. And for many, it will be too late by then. So it's more about not just believing, but the most important part of that is recognizing that you and I have broken the law. And we could talk about the law a lot, and that's what Romans deals with. A significant portion of it does. But it essentially is a set of rules or absolute moral compass, if you will, a universal moral compass that God has given us. And we simply cannot live up to those expectations. Okay? It's simply we are never going to be able to do something to be enough to impress God. I'm using layman's terms to then enter into his very presence. Because you see, God is holy and he is not in the presence of sin and, and you cannot have sin in you or be a part of sin and be in his presence and live, to be in his glory. So a very important part of salvation is turning and repenting, recognizing, you know what, Lord, maybe I've lived a good life. Maybe I haven't done drugs. Maybe I haven't done things that people would in this world consider to be awful or sinful things. And that's honestly, congregation, that's where I struggled as a young man, even into my college years. I was a good, decent person. I viewed myself that way. But somewhere along the line, I realized I am a sinner. And that's very key. You see, because when you realize that you are a sinner, you realize that you need a redeemer. You need a savior. And then you recognize who that savior is, and it's Jesus Christ, the glory of the gospel. We turn to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness. And at that moment, with true repentance comes true forgiveness. And when you combine true repentance with true forgiveness, guess what? You now can celebrate in the victory of the resurrection. Because now you have true eternal life with the Father. It's not a complicated story. The complicated part for us is to get past this idea that we're sinners. You can talk to any number of people today as you go out and do your thing, mass up or not. And if you simply ask a person if they believe in God, most people will say yes. If you ask a person if they're a good person, they will say yes without any concept of what that good means. You see, we base our goodness on what we see in other people's behavior compared to our own. We do that every day. I'm glad I'm not like that person. But eventually, we all need to realize that we're all born into this state of sin, even babies. And we won't talk about infant baptism and all of those things, but there is an age of accountability I think there's a reason that we don't hear much about Jesus from age birth to 12. And we'll, we can do that another time. But there is, a, you know, there's some point where we are cognizant of our sin, our sinful nature. And we may not have necessarily been an evil person. Now I'm, I'm just going to pick on Hannah. Hannah, you're one of the nicest people I think I've ever met in my life. Rudy, you did well. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. I would look at her and think, she's not a sinner. And you're a decent person, right? Yeah, you're like, oh, you don't really know me, right? <laughs> but it, you, you understand what I'm saying. You can pick the sweetest person that you know, the nicest person that you know, and, and the reality for that person is they're a sinner as well. See, we're, we have broken one of the laws. We've broken all of the laws. 
Okay. Jesus even goes so far that when he, he gives us his sermons in, on the mount as an example, that where we have uh, looked at another woman with lust, we have committed adultery in our heart. Where we've looked at a person with anger, we've committed murder. Where we have wished we had something that we don't have, but somebody else does, we have coveted or stolen. See, you see, we do these things, and it's more of a heart issue than it is a physical issue. These are all complicated matters, but they have become, and the Bible talks of this, this is what's neat about preaching, is I get to read a lot, I get to study a lot, I know some of you do as well, but as you get to be my age and you put everything together, you, everything just makes awesome sense. These issues that I just mentioned to you have become a huge stumbling block for a lot of people. I'm a good person. So Paul really hits this hard, dead to sin and alive to God. So let me continue with this and start in verse 15 of Romans chapter 6. And like he started in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he, he asked a question. And he says in verse 15, what then? What then? So this is a preface to speaking to everything he just said in regards to being dead to sin and alive to God and we're living under grace. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? See, he took the time to explain to us that when we have given our life to Jesus Christ, we're no longer under the law but we're under grace. We are saved not by what we do, but who saved us. We're saved by what Jesus did in the flesh. See, Jesus defeated sin in the flesh. Jesus went to a cross and died for us, did something that you and I could not do, and by the grace of God, we can turn to him as our Redeemer, as our Savior, put our trust in him, lay our sins upon him, knowing that he died, believing in that, turning to him, and know that three days later he was resurrected. And we put our faith in that. And we stand on that cornerstone. We stand on that foundation. So it says, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And the answer again is like it was last week, no. By no means. Are we just because we're under grace, just because mommy and daddy say I can, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. There are things that I have told my children that, and it's particularly relevant in today's society, I'll tell them just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? This is exactly what Paul is saying. He says, so what you're saying is I'm saved by grace, so that means that I can continue to do what I want to do because I'm saved by what Jesus did, so it doesn't matter what I do. He says, no, that's not the case. That's not it at all. He says, by no means. Those are very strong words. By no means. So he's balancing this issue of saved by grace with saved by works. And he wants to make it clear, and the whole Bible, believe me, is, is not a works-based system. It is a grace-based system. You can relish in that. You can have confidence in that. You can have peace in that, that Jesus did the work. Now, what do we need to do? We need to believe that. We need to trust that. And it's not about being a doer. But it's about being a believer, and it's not about a set of rules, but it's about a relationship. It's not about a set of rules to follow or break. It's about a relationship with God. It's relationship-based grace. 
right? If you think about your own children, your grandchildren or your relatives, it's nice to have that relationship, isn't it? You're always going to have that relationship, but isn't it nice when they call out of the blue or they visit or whatever it may be? But even when they don't, they're still your kids, right? Even when they do bad, they're still your children, but you want them to do good. And I can remember when I was in high school, my grandfather, my grandpa Ketchum said to me, he says, Scotty, he says, you're different. I never forgot that. And that was after I showed him my grades and I showed him that I was in the paper and I had done something with the National Honor Society. But I carried that with me as a reminder that the reason I was different was because I had a fear of and a respect for my parents and my grandparents and I didn't want to disappoint them. For me, it was about that relationship. That drove a lot of my decisions. And to be honest with you today, it drives a lot of my decisions today with people is your relationships are important to me. And as a result of those relationships that mean something to me, praise Jesus, he means something to me, he means all to me, then how I behave towards the person that I love the most is important to me. It's about a relationship. Yeah. And what Paul goes on to explain here, we'll get into it in a minute, and again, I'm, I'm trying to just keep it simple for you, bring it down to, to understandable terms, is it's not about following a set of rules because if you, if you don't, you're going to go to hell. It's not about that. Jesus didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. So he says, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. See, the law still applies. We're still not to covet our neighbor's wife. We're still not to lie and we're still not to murder and have no other gods before God. We're still to have those things, but that's not what determines your ultimate destiny. If you don't believe me, go back and read the Old Testament. Time and time and time again, the whole purpose for that whole story was to show you, to prove to you, we just can't follow the rules. It's impossible. Time and time and time again, no matter what God did, no matter who he put in the leadership roles, no matter what miracles he performed, people just kept breaking the rules. The purpose of the law is to show you that you need a Savior. The purpose was to let you know you're not perfect. Remember the rich young ruler? What do I need to do, Jesus, to enter heaven? And Jesus said to him, give up all that you have. Sell all that you have and walk with me. So I can't do that. See, it wasn't about the money the guy had. It was the fact that he couldn't give up and have a devoted relationship with Jesus. He, he couldn't have a relationship because he was still living in the world. We were talking about prayer requests and praises this morning. Something I found with my life, and, I, and I'd like to say I, I always have the answers. Why God answers a prayer or why he doesn't in my life, but I, but I don't. But here lately, I've been very specific with my prayers. But more importantly, I've been convicted uh, spiritually, a heart matters. And when I pray those kinds of prayers that really mean something, 
beyond a new house, beyond a new car, beyond a new truck or whatever it may be, beyond that, when I pray those things, God has been answering those. He will answer your earnest prayer requests. And sometimes when we pray those things, God speaks to us and he simply gives you an answer now. And sometimes it's no. That, my friends, is an answer. Okay? An answered prayer isn't always getting what you ask for. Okay? I can't explain why God says no sometimes, and I can't explain why he says yes sometimes. But he does answer every prayer that's earnestly lifted up with him with your heart. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. He died for you. He didn't just die for mankind. He died for you. He died for me. It's a relationship. He loves you. And your motivation to serve him and to follow the Ten Commandments then is not out of fear, but out of love. You have a reverence and a fear for God, which is right and, and just, but we love God and we serve him. And we understand moving forward that by no means are we saved by those works, but we're saved by grace. But we choose to do the good works because we love Jesus. It's that simple. We try to complicate it so much. And part of the problem is we didn't understand this, and sometimes we still don't understand this, particularly before our salvation. He says, do you not know, this is in verse 16 of Romans chapter 6, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, listen, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he says, you, you can be a slave either to the ways of the world, or you can be a slave for righteousness to God. And the interesting thing about slaves, if you were to look up the word, is that there have been slaves since the beginning of creation. I mean, there's, there's been that relationship as negatively as we may think of it. The reality of it is it has existed. And that when a person is a slave, no matter how good the slave, uh, uh, the, the slave owner is, and some of them are, were very good to their slaves and gave them a lot of freedom, they still could not go beyond that which the slave owner said they could or could not do. They still were in bondage, if you will. So before we gave our lives to Christ, you see, we were slaves to sin. We were bound by sin. This is what Paul's trying to explain. He says, so do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave to the one. So you present yourself as a slave. You're slave to the one that you choose. So whether you're a slave to uh, sin, which leads to death, by the way, and this is Paul throws that in there several times. Being a slave to death always leads to or excuse me, being a slave to sin always leads to death because the wages of sin is death. Okay. <clears throat> he says, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In other words, 
But thanks to God that you who were once slaves to sin, you were once in that lifestyle, have now had a change of heart, and now he's specifically addressing in this context the people he's talking to that they have committed to what they have been taught. And that is the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. So, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of, listen, righteousness. Having been set free from sin, you were no longer a, a, a slave to sin, but now you've been set free to become a slave of righteousness. You are now under the slave owner who is God himself. We now... The expectations have been set differently. We now are a slave to righteousness. He goes on. We'll explain it further. In verse 19 he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, talking about your body, talking about body parts. This is you, your members are talking about the body parts, physical body, just as you once uh, presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So he's saying, just as you once, your whole body, your flesh, your body, okay, we're separating out the soul now from the, the body. But the body's a very real thing. Jesus never said that it was. That's why when he was resurrected, he came back in the body. And the first thing he did was when he broke bread, he ate with him. He was fully flesh. It wasn't just a spirit that came back. There is a component to the body. And they refer to it here as the members. And that as before you knew God, you used this body to do lawless acts. In other words, you use this body to do things, even though some of them, by definition, by today's standards, were good in the eyes of others, they still were outside of God's righteousness. You weren't capable of pleasing God. You weren't capable of serving God. You weren't capable of being a slave to God because you were a slave to uh, sinning. You, were, you belonged to the devil. What he's trying to say, you belong to somebody else. And as long as you belong to that entity, that's all that you know. When you turn and repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness, turn to Jesus, now you enter into a different, there's a different owner. You have a different lifestyle. You have a different perspective. You have a different set of expectations. And now you're a slave to righteousness, to do good works, to please him. And you're no longer required to sin. That's the little bitty part here we leave out. You're still very capable of sinning. But now, in this world over here, when you were a slave to sin, everything you did, you, you, that's what you did. I mean, you didn't know any different. Now that your eyes have been opened, you've been saved, you've been born again, you're walking with Christ. Now, You've been saved. You recognize the grace of God, but 
we still are going to struggle with these members in the flesh. We still struggle with the flesh, the body, because we're still here. Last I checked, I'm still here. And the old thoughts that I had, some of the old things that I did, they're out there going, pulling at you. They're, they're, they're tempting you. They're taunting you. But you can say, I'm not a slave to that anymore. I don't have to do that. As hard as it is, we are all drawn to something in our lives, in our past, that just drives us crazy. I want you to know today, you can say no. You don't have to do it. You have the choice now. And Paul says, are you going to continue to be a slave to sin or are you going to be a slave to righteousness for your sanctification? Sanctification is a fancy word for becoming more like Christ as we walk in righteousness. We're never Christ. We're not God. We're not Christ. We become more like him. We begin to think like him. We begin to say things like him. We begin to memorize his word. We begin to pray. We begin to do things. We live a lifestyle that is sanctifying and glorifying to God with our bodies. Knowing that these bodies are fragile, tense, and they're temporary. So, so just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification and more righteousness. And it goes on, we'll finish out here, folks. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I struggle with that verse this week. I struggle with that verse. Listen to it again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So when we were a slave to sin, when we did not know Jesus, pre-Jesus days, before we knew Jesus, we were a slave to sin and free from righteousness, or free to righteousness. Here's what it says. You had no capability. You, were, you had no capability to be righteous. That's what that says. Let me read it again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you had no ability to be righteous. Think about this. When we go on here, the next verse says you've been freed from sin. You've been freed of your sin. You've been freed of your sin. So you don't have the ability now. Sin doesn't, uh, well, you have the ability to sin, but you're not obligated to sin. And you're free from that bondage. When it says free to righteousness, what that's saying is when you were pre-Jesus, pre-salvation, you had no ability to satisfy God's will. You had no ability to walk in righteousness. So he says, just as you, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in, God, in regard to righteousness. But listen, verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time? So you, you were free to sin, but you, you couldn't be righteous. And as he says, think about your past. This is what this says. Think about pre-Jesus. Think about before you got to salvation. And I have. And I want you to do that too. Think about what were the benefits and what contributions did you make? What was your life like versus now? 
What's your life like now after you have been saved? And if you take an honest and a hard, candid look at your life, you ought to be able to draw a pretty definitive line right down the middle. I can. I can. And that's not to say that there's some things in this world that, you know, to what benefit were they? That's the question. Uh, I don't know because God is sovereign and he can use sinners as well as saints to, to complete his will. But to what benefit am I really providing to my, my soul other than, and he goes on to say, death. Because we are, the, bond, the wages of sin is death versus the wages of righteousness is eternal salvation. So, that's all that means through there. So what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed? Whoa. There, there are some things, uh, again, being transparent, I look back and I'm very ashamed. I, I would not want to discuss them with you. I, I'm ashamed of the way I behaved and the things I said and the things I did. And none of them were quirky like that, but like what the world might portray them. But there were some things I said and did that were just, it's just, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. At least now, when I say those things or attempt to, at least most times I get stopped. There's some resistance. And if I do, which I occasionally do, do some silly things, I'll repent of that. I recognize that. Before I didn't recognize it. And I could draw that line in the sand right now and tell you there's some things and I think, how, how did I... What was I thinking? You see, the problem is I was blinded by my bondage in sin. I couldn't see the other side because that's all I knew. It's like a goldfish in a tank. All that the goldfish knows is the universe that it lives in. It doesn't even know there's air around. It doesn't even know there's a world outside of it. We were like goldfish in a tank. And now you, you see, how, how did I not see that? How did I not see the glass all around me? How did I not see the little bubble that I was in? Hopefully, you can look back and thank God that he has changed you. So, but now that you have been set free, verse 22, from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that the gift of righteousness is eternal life with you. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you have watched over us during this whole process that all of us are going through. And Lord, I pray for folks listening now, folks now in our lives that are still under the false assumption that they are somehow good and in good standing with you, and yet they have never turned to your son Jesus, have never asked for repentance, and never asked for forgiveness, have never repented of their sins. Lord, this is a very important thing for all people to know. Turn in repentance from your ways, turn to Jesus, knowing that we will not be perfect, until we are made whole with you in heaven, but that we will make progress. We will make progress. And that the means to the end is now righteousness to salvation and not 
the wages of sin leading to death in the other camp. Lord, thank you for your word today. It's in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name I pray. And the congregation says, Amen. Amen. Of scripture and just put them in harmonic it's just beautiful just it wasn't nothing added to it just just jesus i believe jesus i believe you turn with me in your in your bibles to romans chapter six i want to continue this discussion about grace you see in a couple of weeks we're going to be celebrating the birth of jesus it's the christmas season and i can't i just can't believe that it's already come around and part of it is uh I think the anticipation of decorating and shopping, and I, I'm going to be completely transparent with you, that brings me a lot of anxiety over the years, it has, is trying to buy the right gift, trying to have the right decorations, and I, I, I think it's just my nature. I don't intentionally put things off, but I tend to procrastinate, and I have great ideas and what happens at Christmas is uh, has happened to me time and time again you think I would learn is I finally figure out what I want to do or buy and it's too late and it comes after Christmas that's happened like the last two years so I'm really trying not to do that this year but I'm starting to get that feeling and anyway it, it's just hard to believe that end of November I'm, I was thinking oh Christmas is here already I gotta put up Christmas lights I gotta do this gotta do that anybody else ever feel that way and we we uh, we use this term a lot, the reason for the season, but we need to continually be reminded that the reason that we celebrate Christmas is for the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not about Santa Claus, but uh, certainly that's a fun aspect of the Christmas season. And giving and receiving is an awesome thing. It, it is better to give than to receive. It was kind of funny, I read on social media yesterday, I don't know if, I don't know if it was... Maybe you, Alan, that posted it. I, I, I don't know that it was you, but it said, uh, if money can't buy happiness, then explain motorcycles and beer. <laughs> was that your post? It was, or did we? I've seen it was cute. Yeah. It was cute, yeah. So I thought of that when we were talking about motorcycle group, and then we were talking, you mentioned the beer, and I'm like, oh, i got to say that. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about that today, not motorcycles and beer, but I want to talk about uh, the position we were in before we became before we knew God. And this is what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6, and we spoke to it quite a bit last week, and really we, we, we spoke about uh, verses 1 through 12, and that uh, we're dead to sin and alive to God. Moving on with that same concept with grace, that we're dead to sin and alive to God, there are certain characteristics that we are to exhibit, and that is that we, we share the victory of the resurrection because Jesus was victorious in the resurrection. We share in the experience of his death because Jesus died. We also are to share in his walk. And part of that is suffering, and, 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 but knowing that we have victory in the end. So supernaturally, we have become bonded with Jesus when we gave our life to him. We have surrendered to our sinful ways, acknowledged our sin, and I think something that's not said enough in a pulpit is uh, repentance. A key component to salvation is repentance. So we, we push turning to Jesus and, and receiving Jesus, and the song was, I believe, 
And yes, I believe in Jesus, but uh, so do the evil spirits of this world. They know who Jesus is, right? Everybody will know and will believe in Jesus when they die. And for many, it will be too late by then. So it's more about not just believing, but the most important part of that is recognizing that you and I have broken the law. And we could talk about the law a lot, and that's what Romans deals with. A significant portion of it does. But it essentially is a set of rules or absolute moral compass, if you will, a universal moral compass that God has given us. And we simply cannot live up to those expectations. Okay? It's simply we are never going to be able to do something to be enough to impress God. I'm using layman's terms. To then enter into his very presence. Because you see, God is holy and he is not in the presence of sin, and you cannot have sin in you or be a part of sin and be in his presence and live, to be in his glory. So a very important part of salvation is turning and repenting, recognizing, you know what, Lord, maybe I've lived a good life. Maybe I haven't done drugs. Maybe I haven't done things that people would in this world consider to be awful or sinful things. And that's honestly, congregation, that's where I struggled as a young man. Even into my college years, I was a good, decent person. I viewed myself that way. But somewhere along the line, I realized I am a sinner. And that's very key. You see, because when you realize that you are a sinner, you realize that you need a Redeemer. You need a Savior. And then you recognize who that Savior is, and it's Jesus Christ the glory of the gospel, we turn to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness. And at that moment, with true repentance comes true forgiveness. And when you combine true repentance with true forgiveness, guess what? You now can celebrate in the victory of the resurrection. Because now you have true eternal life with the Father. It's not a complicated story. The complicated part for us is to get past this idea that we're sinners. You can talk to any number of people today as you go out and do your thing, mass up or not, and if you simply ask a person if they believe in God, most people will say yes. If you ask a person if they're a good person, they will say yes without any concept of what that good means. You see, we base our goodness on what we see in other people's behavior compared to our own. We do that every day. I'm glad I'm not like that person. But eventually, we all need to realize that we're all born into this state of sin, even babies. And we won't talk about infant baptism and all of those things, but there is an age of accountability. I think there's a reason that we don't hear much about Jesus from age birth to 12. And we'll, we can do that another time. But there is, uh, you know, there's some point where we are cognizant of our sin, our sinful nature. And we may not have necessarily been an evil person. Now, I'm, I'm just going to pick on Hannah. Hannah, you're one of the nicest people I think I've ever met in my life. Rudy, you did well. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. I would look at her and think, she's not a sinner. And you're a decent person, right? 
You don't really know me, right? But you, you understand what I'm saying. You can pick the sweetest person that you know, the nicest person that you know, and, and the reality for that person is they're a sinner as well. See, we're, we have broken one of the laws. We've broken all of the laws. Okay? Jesus even goes so far that when he, he gives us his sermons in, on the mount as an example, that where we have uh, looked at another woman with lust, we have committed adultery in our heart. Where we've looked at a person with anger, we've committed murder. Where we have wished we had something that we don't have, but somebody else does, we have coveted or stolen. See, you see, we do these things, and it's more of a heart issue than it is a physical issue. These are all complicated matters, but they have become, and the Bible talks of this, this is what's neat about preaching, is I get to read a lot, I get to study a lot, I know some of you do as well, but as you get to be my age and you put everything together, you, everything just makes awesome sense. These issues that I just mentioned to you have become a huge stumbling block for a lot of people. I'm a good person. So Paul really hits this hard, dead to sin and alive to God. So let me continue with this and start in verse 15 of Romans chapter 6. And like he started in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he, he asked a question. And he says in verse 15, what then? What then? So this is a preface to speaking to everything he just said regards to being dead to sin and alive to God and we're living under grace. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? See, he took the time to explain to us that when we have given our life to Jesus Christ, we're no longer under the law but we're under grace. We are saved not by what we do, but who saved us. We're saved by what Jesus did in the flesh. See, Jesus defeated sin in the flesh. Jesus went to a cross and died for us, did something that you and I could not do, and by the grace of God, we can turn to him as our Redeemer, as our Savior, put our trust in him, lay our sins upon him, knowing that he died, believing in that, turning to him, and know that three days later he was resurrected. And we put our faith in that. And we stand on that cornerstone. We stand on that foundation. So it says, are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And the answer again is like it was last week. No, by no means. Are we just because we're under grace, just because mommy and daddy say I can, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. There are things that I have told my children that, and it's particularly relevant in today's society. I'll tell them just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? This is exactly what Paul is saying. He says, so what you're saying is I'm saved by grace. So that means that I can continue to do what I want to do because I'm saved by what Jesus did. So it doesn't matter what I do. He says, no, that's not the case. That's not it at all. He says, by no means. Those are very strong words. By no means. So he's balancing this issue of saved by grace with saved by works. And he wants to make it clear. And the whole Bible, believe me, is, is not a works-based system. It is a grace-based system. You can relish in that. You can have confidence in that. You can have peace in that, that Jesus did the work. Now, what do we need to do? We need to believe that. We need to trust that. And it's not about being a doer 
but it's about being a believer, and it's not about a set of rules, but it's about a relationship. It's not about a set of rules to follow or break. It's about a relationship with God. It's relationship-based grace, right? If you think about your own children, your grandchildren or your relatives, it's nice to have that relationship, isn't it? You're always going to have that relationship, but isn't it nice when they call out of the blue or they visit or whatever it may be? But even when they don't, they're still your kids, right? Even when they do bad, they're still your children, but you want them to do good. And I can remember when I was in high school, my grandfather, my grandpa Ketchum said to me, he says, Scotty, he says, you're different. I never forgot that. And that was after I showed him my grades and I showed him that I was in the paper and I had done something with the National Honor Society. But I carried that with me as a reminder that the reason I was different was because I had a fear of and a respect for my parents and my grandparents and I didn't want to disappoint them. For me, it was about that relationship that drove a lot of my decisions. And to be honest with you today, it drives a lot of my decisions today with people is your relationships are important to me. And as a result of those relationships that mean something to me, praise Jesus, he means something to me, he means all to me, then how I behave towards the person that I love the most is important to me. It's about a relationship. Yeah. And what Paul goes on to explain here, we'll get into it in a minute, and again, I'm, I'm trying to just keep it simple for you, bring it down to, to understandable terms, is it's not about following a set of rules because if you, if you don't, you're going to go to hell. It's not about that. Jesus didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. So he says, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. See, the law still applies. We're still not to covet our neighbor's wife. We're still not to lie and we're still not to murder and have no other gods before God. We're still to have those things, but that's not what determines your ultimate destiny. If you don't believe me, go back and read the Old Testament. Time and time and time again, the whole purpose for that whole story was to show you, to prove to you, we just can't follow the rules. It's impossible. Time and time and time again, no matter what God did, no matter who he put in the leadership roles, no matter what miracles he performed, people just kept breaking the rules. The purpose of the law is to show you that you need a Savior. The purpose was to let you know you're not perfect. Remember the rich young ruler? What do I need to do, Jesus, to enter heaven? And Jesus said to him, give up all that you have. Sell all that you have and walk with me. So I can't do that. See, it wasn't about the money the guy had. It was the fact that he couldn't give up and have a devoted relationship with Jesus. He, he couldn't have a relationship because he was still living in the world. We were talking about prayer requests and praises this morning. Something I found with my life, and, I, and I'd like to say I, I always have the answers. Why God answers a prayer or why he doesn't in my life, but I, but I don't. But here lately, 
I've been very specific with my prayers. But more importantly, I've been convicted uh, spiritually, a heart matters. And when I pray those kinds of prayers that really mean something beyond a new house, beyond a new car, beyond a new truck or whatever it may be, beyond that, when I pray those things, God has been answering those. He will answer your earnest prayer requests. And sometimes when we pray those things, God speaks to us and he simply gives you an answer now. And sometimes it's no. That, my friends, is an answer. Okay? An answered prayer isn't always getting what you ask for. Okay? I can't explain why God says no sometimes, and I can't explain why he says yes sometimes. But he does answer every prayer that's earnestly lifted up with him with your heart. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. He died for you. He didn't just die for mankind. He died for you. He died for me. It's a relationship. He loves you. And your motivation to serve him and to follow the Ten Commandments then is not out of fear, but out of love. You have a reverence and a fear for God, which is right and, and just, but we love God. God, and we serve him. And we understand moving forward that by no means are we saved by those works, but we're saved by grace. But we choose to do the good works because we love Jesus. It's that simple. We try to complicate it so much. And part of the problem is we didn't understand this, and sometimes we still don't understand this, particularly before our salvation he says, do you not know, this is in verse 16 of Romans chapter 6, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, listen, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he says, you, you can be a slave either to the ways of the world or you can be a slave for righteousness to God. And the interesting thing about slaves, if you were to look up the word, is that there have been slaves since the beginning of creation. I mean, there's, there's been that relationship as negatively as we may think of it. The reality of it is it has existed. And that when a person is a slave, no matter how good the slave, uh, uh, the, the slave owner is, and some of them are, were very good to their slaves and gave them a lot of freedom, they still could not go beyond that which the slave owner said they could or could not do. They still were in bondage, if you will. So before we gave our lives to Christ, you see, we were slaves to sin. We were bound by sin. This is what Paul's trying to explain. He says, so do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one... So you present yourself as a slave. You're slave to the one that you choose. So whether you're a slave to uh, sin, which leads to death, by the way, and this is Paul throws that in there several times, being a slave to death always leads to, or excuse me, being a slave to sin always leads to death because the wages of sin is death. Okay. <clears throat> he says, or 
of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In other words, but thanks to God that you who were once slaves to sin, you were once in that lifestyle, have now had a change of heart, and now he's specifically addressing in this context the people he's talking to that they have committed to what they have been taught. And that is the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. So, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of, listen, righteousness. Having been set free from sin, you were no longer a, a, a slave to sin, but now you've been set free to become a slave of righteousness. You are now under the slave owner who is God himself. We now... The expectations have been set differently. We now are a slave to righteousness. He goes on. We'll explain it further. In verse 19, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, talking about your body, Talking about body parts. This is you, your members are talking about the body parts, physical body. Just as you once uh, presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So he's saying, just as you once, your whole body, your flesh, your body, okay, we're separating out the soul now from the, the body. But the body's a very real thing. Jesus never said that it was. That's why when he was resurrected, he came back in the body. And the first thing he did was when he broke bread, he ate with him. It was fully flesh. It wasn't just a spirit that came back. There is a component to the body. And they refer to it here as the members. And that as before you knew God, you used this body to do lawless acts. In other words, you use this body to do things, even though some of them, by definition, by today's standards, were good in the eyes of others, they still were outside of God's righteousness. You weren't capable of pleasing God. You weren't capable of serving God. You weren't capable of being a slave to God because you were a slave to uh, sinning. You, were, you belonged to the devil. what he's trying to say you belong to somebody else and as long as you belong to that entity that's all that you know when you turn and repent of your sin ask for forgiveness turn to jesus now you enter to a different there's a different owner you have a different lifestyle you have a different perspective you have a different set of expectations and now you're a slave to righteousness to do good works to please him and you're no longer required to sin. That's the little bitty part here we leave out. You're still very capable of sinning. But now, in this world over here, when you were a slave to sin, 
Everything you did, you, you, that's what you did. I mean, you didn't know any different. Now that your eyes have been opened, you've been saved, you've been born again, you're walking with Christ. Now, you've been saved, you recognize the grace of God, but we still are going to struggle with these members in the flesh. We still struggle with the flesh, the body, because we're still here. Last I checked, I'm still here. And the old thoughts that I had, some of the old things that I did, they're out there going, pulling at you. They're, they're, they're tempting you. They're taunting you. But you can say, I'm not a slave to that anymore. I don't have to do that. As hard as it is, we are all drawn to something in our lives, in our past, that just drives us crazy. I want you to know today, you can say no. You don't have to do it. You have the choice now. And Paul says, are you going to continue to be a slave to sin or are you going to be a slave to righteousness for your sanctification? Sanctification is a fancy word for becoming more like Christ as we walk in righteousness. We're never Christ. We're not God. We're not Christ. We become more like him. We begin to think like him. We begin to say things like him. We begin to memorize his word. We begin to pray. We begin to do things. We live a lifestyle that is sanctifying and glorifying to God with our bodies. Knowing that these bodies are fragile, tense, and they're temporary. So, so just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification and more righteousness. And it goes on, we'll finish out here, folks. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I struggle with that verse this week. I struggle with that verse. Listen to it again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So when we were a slave to sin, when we did not know Jesus, pre-Jesus days, before we knew Jesus, we were a slave to sin and free from righteousness, or free to righteousness. Here's what it says. You had no capability. You were... You had no capability to be righteous. That's what that says. Let me read it again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you had no ability to be righteous. Think about this. When we go on here, the next verse says you've been freed from sin. You've been free of your sin. You've been freed of your sin. So you don't have the ability now. Sin doesn't, uh, well, you have the ability to sin, but you're not obligated to sin. And you're free from that bondage. When it says free to righteousness, what that's saying is when you were pre-Jesus, pre-salvation, you had no ability to satisfy God's will. You had no ability to walk in righteousness. So he says, just as you... For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But listen, verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time? So you were free to sin, but you couldn't be righteous. And he says, think about your past. This is what this says. 
Think about pre-Jesus. Think about before you got to salvation. And I have. I want you to do that too. Think about what were the benefits and what contributions did you make? What was your life like versus now? What's your life like now after you have been saved? And if you take an honest and a hard, candid look at your life, you ought to be able to draw a pretty definitive line right down the middle. I can. I can. And that's not to say that there's some things in this world that, you know, to what benefit were they? That's the question. Uh, I don't know because God is sovereign and he can use sinners as well as saints to, to complete his will. But to what benefit am I really providing to my, my soul other than, and he goes on to say, death. Because we are... The, bond, the wages of sin is death versus the wages of righteousness is eternal salvation. So, that's all that means through there. So, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed? Whoa. There, there are some things, uh, again, being transparent, I look back and I'm very ashamed. I, I would not want to discuss them with you. I'm ashamed of the way I behaved and the things I said and the things I did. And none of them were quirky like that, but like what the world might portray them. But there were some things I said and did that were just, it's just, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. At least now, when I say those things or attempt to, at least most times I get stopped. There's some resistance. And if I do, which I occasionally do, do some silly things, I'll repent of that. I recognize that. Before, I didn't recognize it. And I could draw that line in the sand right now and tell you there's some things, and I think, how, how did I, what was I thinking? You see, the problem is I was blinded by my bondage in sin. I couldn't see the other side because that's all I knew. It's like a goldfish in a tank. All that the goldfish knows is the universe that it lives in. It doesn't even know there's air around. It doesn't even know there's a world outside of it. We were like goldfish in a tank. And now you, you see... How, how did I not see that? How did I not see the glass all around me? How did I not see the little bubble that I was in? Hopefully, you can look back and thank God that he has changed you. So, but now that you have been set free, verse 22, from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that the gift of righteousness is eternal life with you. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you have watched over us during this whole process that all of us are going through. Lord, I pray for Folks listening now, or folks now in our lives that are still under the false assumption that they are somehow good and in good standing with you, and yet they have never turned to your son Jesus, have never asked for repentance, and never asked for forgiveness, have never repented of their sins. Lord, this is a very important thing for all people to know. Turn in repentance from your ways, turn to Jesus knowing that we will not 
be perfect until we are made whole with you in heaven, but that we will make progress. We will make progress. And that the means to the end is now righteousness to salvation and not the wages of sin leading to death in the other camp. Lord, thank you for your word today. It's in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name I pray. And the congregation says, Amen. Amen.